and Condon. the program miller and condon with you every monday through friday from 10 until noon talking sports with you on des moines sports station 1460 kxno and now on 106.3 fm well we talked about iowa state in the first hour of the program big spot for them tonight feels like they really need this one rutgers pays a visit tomorrow to carver hawkeye michigan was in town on friday kirk ferentz has had a press conference since we were last on the air a lot of ground to cover John Bowen Camp Sports Illustrated, the Hawkeye Maven, SI.com's backslash college, backslash Iowa's, where you can read all of John's content women's basketball, men's basketball, wrestling, football. He covers it all. John Trenton Ken, thank you for coming on. John Bowen Camp, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? It's good to know I'm now on FM. Yes, you are. How about yeah. that? Moving up yeah. in the world. Your voice is all over central Iowa here at <laughs> the present time, as it should be. Yeah. Indeed. I, I don't know where to start. I guess let's go back to Friday. We'll save the football for the end. Uh, the okay. Friday, Friday night's game. Boy, John, uh, you've seen a ton of them at Carver over your career, watched a ton of them uh, over mine. Uh, boy, this was entertaining as hell. I know the latest is always the greatest. It's the one that's, you know, obviously closer to mine. But man, oh man, what a fun game to watch. Yeah. And I mean, it, I mean, it was, it was, uh, I mean, it, it was a well played game. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was like, you know, it, it felt like a lot of those Big Ten games that, you know, that I've seen, that you've seen over the years there. And, you know, I mean, you know, here's this, you know, there's there's this bad snowstorm and you still get a really good crowd and it's a loud crowd. And it's, you know, and then it's, it's, you know, everybody, you know, each team made a run, you know, Iowa makes the last run really to put to, to to get control of the game and win the game. Um, You know, I mean, there was that point there in the second half when you thought that, that, that Iowa was just kind of out of gas. Yep. And they had that timeout there. They had that media timeout. I think it was the under eight timeout. And then all of a sudden, they they, they kind of got a second wind. And, and you know that crowd again. You know everybody credited the crowd after the game. And mm-hmm. sometimes that can be kind of cliche, but I, I think that was really important for them to have that kind of crowd they had the other night, and really gave them a lot of energy to get them through to the end. And you know a, a pretty good win over a really good team. I was down seven late. In the second half, in towards the second part of the second half, and they just kept coming back. And after they finally gave up the lead, and it was kind of a slow roll, Michigan got back into it at the end of the first half and then overcame them in the second. So many past Iowa teams felt like they would have folded up the tent and folded. And it would have been Michigan wins it by a dozen and, and ball game, drive home safely. Instead, guys make plays. You got Wieskamp making plays. You got Frederick hitting big shots. You got Creener out there. <laughs> just this team, it's nothing I can measure. John, I think you know I like numbers. I like things that I can measure. I can't measure this, but it feels different here that this team, mental toughness, whatever you want to say, it's a different kind of Iowa team. Well, you, I mean, you think back to some games early in the year, think back to the Iowa State game when, you know, Iowa State cut it to eight early in the second half. Mm-hmm. In past years, that's when, you know, things kind of fall apart. Instead, all of a sudden, it's back up to 15. Uh, think back to the game against Cincinnati at the United Center. You know, Cincinnati fights back, gets a, gets a lead in the second half. Then Iowa comes back and, and takes control of the game with. Same thing that happened the other night. There's a toughness to this team that, again, 
you know, like you said, there, there's some things, college basketball, the really good teams, there's some things there that you just can't quantify. And, you know, you have to have chemistry. You have to have that kind of toughness to win, you know, in January when you're kind of, you know, you, you, you know, they, January can kind of seem like the dog days sometimes, even for good teams. And, you know, for them to come back and, and play well down the stretch and shut Michigan down, too. Let's not forget mm-hmm, that. I'm sure. Sure. You know, and, and to do all those things and to get a win like that, says, I mean, you know, all those wins, I think, says a lot about this team right now where it's at. You know, Connor McCaffrey didn't score in the game, um, but he did so many good things. The behind-the-back pass, uh, finished with 13 rebounds, four of which were off the offensive glass, resulting in second-chance opportunities. He had four of the nine offensive boards. You know, he didn't score, but man, oh man, the, the game is more than that, and, and, and Connor McCaffrey really, I think, uh, personified that uh, on Friday. You know, one of the things, I, I, I and I wrote about this yesterday, was you know, the, he's second in the nation in assist-to-turnover ratio. And he's had seven games this year where he hasn't had a turnover. And I totaled up the minutes, and in those seven games, he played 210 minutes. <laughs> you know, that's a long time to go without, you know, you know, making a bad pass or dribbling off your foot or whatever, traveling, whatever. And you know, he's just a very disciplined player. And I think that's what this team, you know, really kind of needed you know, because he can do so many different things. He can run the point for you. He can, you know, he can defend. You know, he can defend guys. You know, at the three or the four. I'm, I'm waiting for him to defend the center at some point. <laughs> That's about the only thing he hasn't done. Yeah. But I mean, he's just been so steady with everything. And you know, there's so many contributions you can make without scoring the ball. Right. And he's done that. So the next two are at home again. Iowa will be favored in both the games against Rutgers and Wisconsin. But these are two different kind of teams. This Rutgers team, I think, is as rugged as you're going to find in the Big Ten. They are physical. And as I told Ken earlier, Ron Harper Jr., he has something against Iowa because that dude always plays well, it seems, against the Hawkeyes. Then Wisconsin, who's been their own kind of bugaboo here. The importance of getting not just one, but both of these victories, still knowing what's on tap after that the rest of the way for Iowa. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean the way the Big Ten is right now, it's like you know any road win you, you get is going to be a gift. Mm-hmm. You know, so... That's why you, and, and so what that also does is that it really puts pressure on you to win at home. You know, I mean, because there just is no easy out on the road this year in the league. And so, so I mean, it, it does put pressure. Rutgers is playing as, as good as anybody in yep. the country right now. And, you know, Wisconsin is Wisconsin. And, you know, they can, they can gum up a game pretty quickly. And so, you know, these next two games, I think, are really going to test them. You know, I, and I mean, you really do want to win both of them because, you know, you've got to go to Maryland. You've still got to, you know, you still have later, you know, and next month you've got to go to Michigan State. You've got all these, you know, these road trips coming up. So that's why you've got to protect the home court. This is an opportunity for them. I mean, this is a three-game homestand. They go to Maryland and come back and play Illinois. So that's four out of five at home. You've got to go four and one in that stretch, I think. You know, if you want to, I mean, your goal is to be in that top four in the league. And, and so, I mean, if you want to do that, you've got to win these home games. And that's why, you know, for them to win the other night the way they did was pretty big. But now you got to keep that momentum going. Twelve of the Big Ten teams have only lost once at home throughout the entire season. Uh, taking care of the home floor is, is just huge. So, so let me ask you this. If we assume Michigan State is the best team uh, in the Big Ten, and I think that, you know, we take that's that fair. vote. Yeah, I think it's fair. Who's, yeah. who's, the, who's underneath them, John? Wow. <laughs> Who, I mean, who's be number I mean, two? Well, look at it right now. I mean, it's Rutgers is there, Illinois, Illinois? is there, Iowa's there. Who yeah. would have thought? Right. You know, 
And, you know, I mean, it's, it, and, and that's why, you know, so like I said, that's why you got to win these home games. And that's why you want to see if you can steal, you know, again, the win, the game that, that, that the Hawkeyes will always kick themselves about for the rest of the season is that game at Nebraska. Lincoln, yes. Because they, if they shoot the ball even, you know, you know, even, even 30% from three points, they win that game. And they win that game easily. And so that's, you know, again, that was a road win they should have gotten and, and they didn't get. So, you know, I, it, it's funny. I think Ken Palm projects them out to finish 12 and 8 in the league. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's pretty good, I think. And I think that's almost what it's going to be to finish second or third in this league because everybody's just beating up on anybody. I mean, you, there's not going to be a lot of difference between second place and ninth nope. place in this league. Can Luca Garza keep this up? Yeah, because he's really good at adjusting in, in game situations. And, I mean, you know, I mean, even look back to that Nebraska game and the way they played him defensively that night, he still gets a double-double. You know, he still got 16 and 18 that night, if I remember right. So, I mean, yeah, I think he can keep it going. I mean, I, I, I think that, that he's really good at, at adjust. He, he figures out early on what he's getting, and he adjusts to that. And then if they do some different things, he adjusts to that too. So, yeah, I think he can keep it going. And, I mean, I'm surprised he's not getting more national attention, but I think if he keeps this up here in the next couple of weeks, I think he will. John, let's jump into some football as the Hawkeyes had a press conference yesterday. Kirk Ferentz was talking with the assembled media and a little handout for you guys as you were walking in, had a record over the last five years for Big Ten and Big 12 teams. So aside from the records and where Iowa places there and how good this five-year run has been, what's the reason there? Is it a shot across the state? Why, why the Big 12 also with the Big Ten? I don't know. I, I found that interesting, but I, I do think that that I mean, it, it is. I mean, when you look at what they've done over the last five years, and you look at the number of wins, and then you look at who's around them on that list, there's some heavy hitters mm-hmm. in that group, you know. And so I, I think, I think, you know, maybe, you know, it, it was kind of saying maybe you know everybody needs to appreciate what's been done here in the last five years because it has been a pretty good run. And so yeah, I found it. I found it really interesting that handout was there. And, you know, like I said, when you start looking at the names and numbers and you start realizing it's been a pretty good team over the last five years. And, and, and a lot of that has been, and, the, and Kirk talked about this a little bit yesterday after that, that awful 2014 season when, you know, I mean, when, when they, there were so many games they could have won that year and didn't. And he realized that there's some changes that needed to be made and some of them were subtle, some of them weren't. And now all of a sudden here you are now where this program continues and it's coming off a 10-win year. You know, and it's funny. It's funny. You ask them. I mean, they didn't. At times, it didn't feel like it was going to be a ten-win year, right? And they did. You know, so um, you know, I think that's what I was saying. Is, is look at what's gone on here, and, and I think you know the numbers they've put up have been pretty impressive. No doubt about it. Uh, he, uh, Coach Ferentz also talked for him. I think kind of glowingly, at least at this point in Spencer Petrus's career, mm-hmm. uh, mentioned he looked like a college football player as they were going through the um, bowl practice season. When I guess he got must have taken a lot of reps uh, in preparation for his turn, which we believe will come uh, this upcoming season. But glowing terms about the heir apparent to Nate Stanley. Yeah, I think, I, and I think he had to say, you know, I mean, I, I, and I think he believed it. I'm not saying he's wrong, but I think he had to get that point because I mean, there were there's a lot of speculation. I mean, you just got done with having a quarterback that that had a really good three year run, and a lot of what Iowa does next year is going to depend on on how how whoever that quarterback is going to be, how he plays, and so 
you know, I think it was it was a good way of it was a good way to, to get some confidence out there that says, hey, this this kid's pretty good. <clears throat> and everything I've heard about him says he's a pretty good quarterback. And so, I mean, it's going to be an interesting competition. I think it goes into August. I don't think you know. Again, it's like Kirk said yesterday. He's you know he's number one right now, but now you got to keep it. Yeah. And so, I mean, you've got you've got Alex Padilla who's there, and he's had a year essentially in the system because he started there last spring. Uh, you get Deuce Hogan coming in in the summertime. Um, you know, there's there's some competition there, but you know, I, I think he knows. I mean, again, you don't hear a lot of rumblings that he's looking for a quarterback out in the transfer portal. You know, which I mean, which I mean, could have very easily he could have just said, "Look, we need a fifth year guy right now, and let these guys kind of settle in." But he's not doing that, and, and I mean, I think he's. He's very comfortable with what he's got right now in this quarterback room. So the guy's off early to the NFL draft. No surprise, uh, Epines and Worf certainly going to be, it feels like, first-rounders there. Stone gone. And Torn Young, which is certainly different circumstances for him. Mm-hmm. Kind, of, kind of a different avenue So here. did he go to the NFL draft, or is he pursuing another school? He, he's, he's going to try, give football a try. Is that right, John? Yeah. And I mean, and I mean probably what happens is he knows <clears throat> that that he's just going to be a, he's going to be an undrafted free agent, yeah. and so it's get in the camp, see what you can get, you know. I mean, and obviously now you know there's there's other avenues out there now for for professional football. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think you know I I was kind of surprised he didn't you know take that last year to go to a you know an FCS school yep. or somewhere where you know somewhere where he could go and, and play a lot and and put up some numbers. But I think. You know he's getting his degree and he's he's wanting to get out and see what he can do and and move on with his life because he knew that next year it was going to be a lot of the same thing. You know you you be rotating three guys in there and I I think he realized you know might as well go right now. I've got my degree. Let's go and see what I can do with it. Yeah, and I think Goodson's probably elevated himself as far higher than anybody. Yes, right, Trent? no no doubt. Exactly. Hey, one final thing for me. I'll let Ken finish up with you here, John mm-hmm. and Ken O'Keefe. Uh, we knew initially it was a three year deal for him. That contract was up after this season, and we hadn't heard anything officially. But Kirk mentioned that Ken O'Keefe will be back as a quarterback coach. And hearing him, I know last year before the season began, when the question was asked after Nate Stanley, he gushed about Petrus. You talked about a little bit earlier what Kirk had to say here. Maybe feels like Ken O'Keefe says, yeah, I could go out with Stanley, but I really like this Petrus guy. Maybe I'm going to stick around for a couple more years. Well, I think he, I think he likes the idea that, that, that he's going to have three really good quarterbacks to work with. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he likes doing that. I think he, I think he really liked in how he was able to build Nate Stanley into what he turned into, you know. And and I think now he want now he's looking at this as another challenge. Hey, I'm going to come back. I'm going to work with these guys. I, I I've got some opportunities here to work with 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 some some really good quarterbacks, and let's see what I can do with them. Uh, and last thing for you, John. Um, you know, he talked glowingly about the quarterback. The defensive line was that kind of. How big of a talker was that? And uh, what was the uh, what was kind of the tenor of it? You know, I think it, I think he's looking at you know situation of the, everything's wide open there. And you know, he talked a lot yesterday about opportunities. You know, with these guys leaving, it's opportunities for somebody else now. And I think it was kind of a challenge to everybody that that's in that defensive line room. You know, there's playing time there. You've got the spring and August, you know, summer and August to show what you can do. You know, there's a lot of opportunities there. Let's, you know, I want to get to five, six, seven, or eight. You know, that's what he said yesterday. And he means that too about the offensive line. You want to get, you know, besides your five, you want to get three, you know, at least two or three really good backups. So he, he really kind of, he was kind of throwing a challenge out. Hey, there's opportunities there. 
Now you've got to go get. I mean, it's, there's a lot of young talent in that room, a lot of inexperienced talent. But basically, what he's saying is, this is your chance. Now let's see what you can do with it. SI.com backslash college backslash Iowa for all the Hawkeye content. Hawkeye Maven, part of Sports Illustrated. John Bowen Camp. John, thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. You see do you the same. Good to talk to you, John Bowen Camp, joining us here as we talk Hawks. Iowa got a transfer punter. Yes, I saw from North Dakota State. Don't they all every year get a yeah, transfer that's, punter? That's the way that it's supposed Worked to be. Out well, so far, right? Well, they got Rock and Ron Kaluzzi, the start of this train. Sleep Dalton was pretty solid yeah. last year. Yeah. And uh, saw on a message board there following a 40 game starter at Indiana at tackle, offensive tackle. Got hurt last year, has another year of eligibility. And Tyler Barnes now following him on Twitter. Tristan Worst no longer around. You're putting two and two together, are you? 40 games started in the Big Ten. Detective Condon on it. Coy Cronk is his name. Love that. That's a that's a football. Coy Cronk. That's an offensive lineman named Cronk. Uh, Pulvermacher, the linebacker yes. for Iowa State. Cronk, the O lineman. All right, it's time to pay your bills with iHeartRadio. Fourteen sixty KXNO and one hundred six point three FM. Text the keyword. Super to 200 200 right now for your chance to win $1,000. That's super to 200 200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. Around the world of sports with Zuba Mahente when Miller and Condon continue on Des Moines Sports Station 1460 KXNO and 106.5. Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, with you here until noon. Let's get right to our friend Zubin Mahente, Sports Center. Of course, Zubin was in the market at the, well, the end of the last century. When did you leave Des Moines, Zubin? 2000 and what? 2005, late 2005. Actually, my last assignment was covering Jamie Pollard's introductory press conference. Is so that a fact? I'll tell you a quick one. Yeah. I got to, Ken, I got to tell you a quick one on that. The night before it happened, we had gotten, again, not to date ourselves, but in 2005, we had gotten a fax (laughs) at the station late Sunday night, and uh, it was very cryptic, gigantic announcement coming. So I called our buddies at Channel 8 and Channel 13. All three of us were talking to each other. Sports guys are pretty collegial, and Mm -hmm. guys are always in each other's throats. (laughs) (laughs) And none of us knew what it was. And I remember I even called John and, you know, John is plugged in as anyone. And we didn't know what it was. We showed up the next day. We didn't really know much about the guy. And I guess the rest is history. (laughs) Isn't that so, so um, Vandevelde was still there and he stayed for a year, right? It's kind of, maybe it wasn't a full year, but there was a transition period. If memory serves uh, when, when Pollard was named, I think Vandevelde stayed for a while. Is, Is that how you remember it? I do, and I and I always liked Bruce. I, I did I too. Thought that he bore a lot of criticism from the media that I thought was a little unwarranted. Obviously, there's no doubt Jamie is taking it to the next level. No I question. Don't think there's any comparison, but uh, I always thought Bruce was a little bit of a pinata the way the me- the media treated him, and I didn't really think it was deserved. But it, it is what it is. Um, he wasn't as outward as Jamie. That's probably what it is. A lot of times with the media, when we talked to Bruce, it was one of those rare occasions where we got him. Whereas Jamie's always out in front, always mm-hmm. meeting with the fans, always on the tailgate tour. And that's going to ingratiate you to the fans right away, especially when you come from out of state and you come from another conference. Yeah, isn't that something? Because um, 
well, I'll say this. I've said it before. Bruce Vandevelde would email me things that he oh, would really? want to get out there. Yes. Ooh. He was very good about that. Um, anyway, Zubin, that was, uh, that was, what, 15 years ago? So let's get to the here and now. And I know in the here and now you had Seth Greenberg on uh, on your program, at least one of the many programs where we see you on ESPN. And uh, Luca Garza came up, I believe. It might have been on SportsCenter. But Seth Greenberg, a terrific basketball mind. We just had John Bowen Camp and Trenton when uh, John was talking about the national uh, media, maybe not paying enough attention to what Luca Garza has been doing. Seth Greenberg knows what's up. Yeah, we just simply asked him, look, I mean, it's not last year with Zion. Who is the player of the year? It's so wide open. And his three, in no particular order except for number one, were Miles Powell of Seton Hall, Obi Toppin of Dayton, and he said both of those guys are behind Mm -hmm. Luca Garza of Iowa. And he said about Garza, and this has been said a couple of different times, he said this is the hardest working player during a game in college basketball. Nobody is working harder on offense or defense collectively than Garza. And I was speaking to our guy, David Seisler. He's kind of our guy that uh, sets up all the crews, what games are announced by what people. You know, So he deals with people all the time, all over the country. And we were just chatting about something, about Garza, in fact. I think I was suggesting we do a little bit of a feature because I saw a funny headline out in Iowa, not a funny one, but a tongue-in-cheek headline, where Garza had said he had lost the basketball when referencing his uh, eight or nine pound fist that was removed from his body. And I said, listen, we need to get these guys some attention. Everybody knows everything about Zion, but does anybody know that Luca Garza had an eight or nine pound fist removed from his body? Do people know that Miles, uh, excuse me, that do they know that Obi Toppin was a zero star recruit, sort of like a, a Frank Mason sort of player that nobody saw coming and could end up being the player of the year? And uh, David responded to me, and he goes, yeah, you know what I hear about Garza from all of our guys? Hardest working guy in the game. And these are two independent guys telling me that. He also said, Seth said he's relentless. He plays a ton of defense. Uh, He's willing and able to take shots when a lot of guys aren't willing and able to do that. He couldn't have spoken highly, more highly. I don't know if this is his nickname. Maybe I'm behind the times. He called him the Garzilla. I don't know if that's a thing with (laughs) Luca Garza, (laughs) but he absolutely loves the way uh, that this guy plays, and he was waxing poetic on him all night long. I texted you right afterwards and said, this guy, I mean, Greenberg loves effort, loves this guy. Remember, Greenberg's a two-time ACC coach of the year. He's won a game in Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, he's done a lot of good things in the sport, and he just definitely, of all the players out there, you can the Peyton Pritchard's and the Vernon Carey's, and he was just circling it on Luca Garza. I thought it was pretty impressive. So that sets up a top 25 showdown with Iowa and your alma mater, the Rutgers, Rutgers Scarlet Knights, come into Carver, ranked in the top 25. Certainly the biggest Iowa-Rutgers basketball matchup since the 1989 NCAA tournament, you'd have to say. Yes, and obviously this is, uh, you know, they're still thinking about the Weiss Camp game. And I'm yeah. kind of like a legendary hmm. game for either side. I will say this, though. You know, this is the first time, and this sounds almost unfathomable, but with this program, you never know. Um, you know, they've been to the tournament since 91, which seems crazy. Uh, yesterday, they broke into the poll for the first time in 41 years. Ooh, I mean, think about that. That's though. crazy. They're in the poll for the first time in 41 years. And much like Iowa, I think they've done it the right way. It's more of a blue-collar program. Uh, you know, I don't think they could go get a uh, really hot coach and, you know, clean up with recruiting in New Jersey to do it. You know, they got Steve Peichel, who came from a smaller program. He was actually born here in Bristol, Connecticut, played for Jim Calhoun, one of his early captains in the 1980s. He's kind of a scratch-and-claw, blue-collar guy. 
Um, the splits are a little disappointing. They're 13-0 at home. It's a tough place to play. Uh, they haven't been nearly as good on the road, but I think that's what you would expect from a team that's trying to turn the corner. So I think it'll be a good game. I think it used to be you'd walk into Northwestern, you'd walk into Penn State, you'd walk into Nebraska, you'd walk into Rutgers, the bottom rung of the Big Ten, and you just easily just count those as wins, and I couldn't blame any team that's doing that. And even as bad as Nebraska has been, I think they're a difficult out. They have a good home court advantage. And I don't want to be one of those guys that says 1 through 14, you never know, in the Big Ten. But I would say the bottom of the league has acquitted itself yep. quite nicely. Now, it's taken Rutgers about four decades. It's taken 10 <laughs> nine years since that chambers. But better late than never. Should be a fun one tomorrow. We'll see what kind of litmus test uh, it is. And I think it would be huge. And, you know, uh, you know, Kevin, Jim Delaney is gone, and now it's Kevin Warren's league. And I know everything revolves around football, as we've discussed many times before. But if Rutgers could find itself in the NCAA tournament, I think it would be a small measure of success uh, for Jim Delaney and it would really help the footprint of the league uh, out east. Yeah, look, I don't want to go all Rutgers, but Shiano just got a nice pickup as well mm-hmm. with Crookshank, who had such that, a memorable Rose Bowl game, transfer from Wisconsin, stays in the Big Ten but goes to the East. So we're back to basketball, but staying in the Big Ten. Michigan State, we think, is the best team in the conference, right? We do. I think that they deserve to be there, and I think they'll be there in the end. But then it's Illinois and Rutgers, hot on their heels, both 5-2. and two. Look, Illinois, I think that they are good. I think Rutgers is good. But man, Zubin, uh, nobody saw those two teams in the battle for the top spot right behind Michigan State, you know, a third of the way into the season. Yeah, what's interesting is I think Illinois had much higher expectations. If I'm not mistaken, they missed the tournament now for six straight years. And Brad Underwood is a pretty good turnaround specialist. He did a great job. at Stephen F. Austin, he did a pretty good job in his one year at Oklahoma State, although I know there's some financial considerations there that had him bolt after one year. But he had a great recruiting class coming in. He's actually recruited pretty well since he got there. He, unfortunately for him, had a couple of losing seasons, which just really, if you look at his body of work over the course of his career, he really doesn't have. Coburn, I think we knew, was going to be a really good player. Um, but you're right. I mean, but you got to think about it like this. Last year, Purdue started 6-5, and five, and I know we're way beyond 11 games into the season. But last year, Purdue started 6-5. and five. They made the Elite mm-hmm. 8. So it's difficult to tell. You don't really know what kind of Wisconsin you're going to get every night. I think Maryland really had high hopes, and you just don't know what you're getting from the Terps. But you can look at other Power 5 leagues the same way. Um, we had Dillis on last night along with Greenberg, and he was saying, look, you know, in the ACC, you got Duke, Louisville, and Florida State, and then it's a complete drop-off. You don't know where to go from there. Where do you put Virginia? They lost NC State. Where do you put NC State? They beat Virginia last night. Where do you put some of these teams that are just so used to being right where you want them to be? And you're right. It's a little strange to see it's Michigan State and everyone else. And it's really the same in the ACC. You can make an argument. In some cases, it's the same uh, in the SEC. So it is a really top-heavy situation this year. But I'm really bullish on Illinois because I do like their approach. And I think the expectations were there at the beginning of the season. And I think Coburn has lived up to expectations. I think Geo Baker of Rutgers has been great. Mm-hmm. And I think Cassius Winston, after a slow start, obviously some personal tragedy in his life, has been playing some great basketball, too. Zoom, we want to jump over to some baseball with you. I want to start with a tweet I saw this morning. Keith Oberman, very much a uh, provocateur, likes to rile things up. He'll be anchoring the 6 o'clock Sports Center, 5 o'clock for us here Central Time, as the Hall of Fame will be announced from the Baseball Writers Association. Talk about a, a good gig there and the right guy to have in the chair at Sports Center. It's got to be Oberman, though, right? It has to be. has to be, no doubt. I would tell you this. I'm sure there's some numbers floating around. I'm sure you guys have seen it. I haven't had a chance to check anything this morning, 
But uh, we have been collating, I'm sure other people have been too, but we were doing some of the math last night on all of the ballots that have been publicly put out there. And again, I haven't checked this morning because obviously, you know, people will rush to get them in or at least make them public by today. They just haven't made them public. Uh, but last night, from what we saw, about 189 ballots cast from what we had seen. Jeter was at 100%. Larry Walker was at 83.5%. Going to be close. Uh, be the first predominant, yeah, first predominant Rocky to make it in there. Uh, which would be uh, interesting. He's gotten a lot of momentum uh, lately. I don't know how some of this stuff works. Like one year, somebody's really hot, and they just get in. And the one interesting one, the one that we saw, we think we did the math, that of the remaining ballots that we didn't see last night, and again, there could be a treasure trove of them out there today, but as of last night, from the ones that we were publicly able to find, if Barry Bonds were able to receive 79% of the outstanding ballots, uh, he would make it in. And I think that would obviously be the biggest story and for the second week in a row, uh, baseball would find itself mired in controversy. Now, I'm not saying Bonds doesn't deserve to be in there. I don't, I'm not equating this to the cheating scandal. But I think for the second week in a row, baseball would receive some widespread criticism. Yep. Some people would say there's no such thing as bad publicity. Here we are less than a month mm. in training, and people are really talking <laughs> about baseball. But uh, it feels like Jeter could go unanimous with his old teammate, finally having broken the seal last year. Larry's one I'm keeping an eye on uh, out in Colorado. But uh, the Bonds one is not out of question. 79% is the number we're looking at for ballots still floating. I, that seems like a high number since 75% is what you need to get in, but I think that's the one people are watching. Yeah, I, I, I'm watching like you, Zubin. I'm watching Larry Walker, you because of the time you spent in Denver, me because he's a Canadian <laughs> and he played in Montreal. And, you know, what, what's being held against him is the fact that he played in Denver at Coors Field, right? And, you know, in, the, in that altitude. But it's only 30% of his games were played there. I think it's, I think he's being unfairly punished for the time he spent, uh, the 81 home games he played during his Rocky tenure. I would agree. I think there does seem to be, as I mentioned with those numbers, there does seem to be some level of momentum behind him. Again, I have no idea why certain guys just rise up and Larry Walker, deservedly so, I think, in a situation to do it. I think the real litmus test for the Rockies will be like Todd Helton. You know, Todd yeah. Helton's going to get in. I think that's the one people will think about because, to your point, you're right, it's the altitude. But I think the one thing that people fail to recognize is that they put a humidor in effect. They put the baseball in a humidor, which is sort of tip the scales a little bit, and yes, in the early years, you would see those ridiculous high-scoring games where every team, where each of the two teams was in double digits and runs, and no matter what the deficit was, you never felt like you had the game at Coors Field, or even at the old place, you never felt you were out of the game. But the humidor has really mitigated that, and at the same token, what we don't do is give the pitchers credit, right? We always you know, give the hitters credit, or we take away from the hitters because they uh, played Coors Field. But when a pitcher has a great season at Coors Field, we don't seem to recognize it. And over the years, pitchers have had good seasons at Coors Field. Not great. You do have to overpay to get free agents there because the metrics don't look great for a pitcher that's going for a free agent deal or coming out of one in Colorado. But I do think that the, the scales have not been tipped equally because the thin air is still the thin air. But what they've been trying to do in the baseball before games, there's even been a controversy between the Giants and the Rockies over how the humidor is treated. I mean, that's serious out there. Um, that I do believe that health will be a litmus test, but at the same token, I don't believe that you know you just go there, hit a pop fly, and the thing goes over the right. right. I think it used to be like that, 
I don't think it's like that anymore. I'm with you. Zubin, last thing. It seems like uh, th- this Super Bowl matchup, man, oh man, I don't know how it's going to live up to the hype. I really don't. I think everybody's over the moon with the potential of this game, how it's going to unfold. I mean, we've got that unbelievable defense for San Francisco, particularly the defensive front. We've got Patrick Mahomes, uh, the face of the quarterback position, the new face of the quarterback position once the old guard uh, does hang it up. Uh, on the surface, Zubin, Kansas City versus the Niners has a chance to be you know, seemingly one of those ones that we're going to remember for a long time. I hope it lives up to it. We'll talk about it more next week, but at first blush, your thoughts. Yeah, I think one thing that I'm really interested in, and this is always one of those deals where you say to yourself, huh? And Mahomes has been dealing with this, with this for the short part of his career, but when you watch both games, the first thing I think, and we're going to try to put some emphasis on some of these guys that just don't get a lot of shine, but you look at some of these guys that are disruptive players, incredibly successful players that are busted out in the NFL, and we're big college football fans, all three of us, and I know many of your listeners are as well. And you, you, you remember Frank Clark from college, but I don't remember him being this disruptive. I remember Patrick Mahomes, but I don't remember this. I don't recall Chris Jones. Hmm. I'm talking to John Fox, the old Broncos and Panthers coach. He thought Chris Jones is the most important guy in the Chiefs defense. And he played at Mississippi State. I'm trying to rack my head thinking of any time I saw him. Another good example would be Mostert. Mostert right. played in the Big Ten. Right. And just like, where was Raheem Mostert? And those are the types of great stories that I'm looking forward to. Lastly, I would say there's a great piece of the New York Times yesterday. If you're a Chiefs fan, it's a great, great piece. And it basically talks about the Chiefs have won nearly 500 games. They've won 13 division titles. And a lot of organizations would hang those banners for that level of success. 13 division titles against you know the Broncos and Raiders who have been highly mm-hmm. successful in the division. But if you go to Arrowhead Stadium, there's only two flags there. There's a giant American flag on top of the stadium, and right below that, there's a small white flag that just says 1969 World Series, uh, World Series, World Champion, 1969 mm. World Champion. They don't acknowledge division titles because the standard is the Super Bowl. And if it's got to be 50 years to hang another one of those flags, we'll wait 50 years. But I think that tells you something about that organization, these are the others uh, that would put any accomplishment they've had up there for the fans to see. But they just got two. They got the Stars and Stripes. They have Old Glory and a small little white flag harkening back to Len Dawson 50 years ago. And maybe 50 years later, we'll see another one with Patrick Mahomes. But that's a really interesting way that the Chiefs have chosen as a very successful franchise to look at being close, oh so close, but not quite there yet. Finally, Zubin, you love the NBA. Ken and I will get there come April. (laughs) But tomorrow night, Zion will be back, will be on the floor for the first time in the regular season with the Pelicans. How excited should casual NBA fans like us be about this one? Well, they should be excited as our executives. They should be seeing doing a jackpots. <laughs> we have it tomorrow night on ESPN at 9.30 mm-hmm. Eastern Time. Scott will be on after the game with all the post-game coverage. I think it's big. I think it's one of those situations where sometimes things are worked away. He was supposed to be out six to eight weeks. It's probably going to end up being 12. Um, but he was supposed to make his debut on a Tuesday night, October 22nd, first game of the NBA season against the Raptors instead of October 22nd. It's going to end up being January 22nd. And the journey has been incredible. If you think about everything that happened from the moment he announced he was going to do to the summer league game where he had to leave the game, shut him down. There was an earthquake at that summer league game. Then people told him you have to learn how to walk again because he was playing at 285. There was no timetable on his return. And by the way, not that they're playing great basketball overall this season, but the Pelicans are playing very, very good basketball lately. Here in the last couple of weeks, Brandon Ingram has really turned it on. 
for the Pelicans. Uh, they're mired there, but even the eighth seed in the West guys right now is under 500, and that's not used to seeing in the West. So maybe they get in a little bit of run here with Zion with a couple of new guys they got, and maybe something happens and they take off. It's something the league's been waiting to see for a long time, and I think it's going to be great tomorrow night. Quickly to point out, his first three games are at home, San Antonio, Denver, and Boston. So when you have that kind of pressure on a kid, it's probably nice to play at home in front of the home fans. I'm sure there'll be, you know, cell phones and cameras every place he goes on the road. But to just be able to calm down, play the game, understand the pressure he's on with the home crowd supporting him, I think that's a nice way for him to launch his career tomorrow night. And, and Zubin, lastly, uh, at, at, at the uh, ESPN campus in Bristol, of course, the cafeteria is uh, the setting for so many commercials. Has there been a Tony Romo sighting in the cafeteria? <laughs> Nothing is yet, but i got to tell you, every time I watch it, even, I mean, it was just such a great performance again this weekend. But the one that stole the show for me, and I love, I love Tony, and I think everybody does, uh, when Jim Nance oh, was awesome. about Jack Buck, yes. oh my goodness, calling Super Bowl one, and yes. 50 years later, his son is calling the 100th anniversary of the NFL and Super Bowl 50. I think Romo's been great, but I think it's one of the most underrated stories in sports media, and we're getting in the weeds with us three, not the audience. <laughs> but what Nance has been able to do to elevate Romo and to sort of just keep him in line, because the enthusiasm is awesome, and people love that raw passion that he has, but Nance reels him in and really gets the best out of him. And, and I know Tony's been out there, and it's a huge story this offseason. The biggest free agent in sports, he doesn't even play anymore. Right. But it's one of those things where Jim deserves a ton of credit, I think, for the way that he has turned Tony into what he is. No. A ton of credit to Tony, but Jim has refined him. No question about it. I'm glad you mentioned the fact that he did uh, take time out of the broadcast to recognize uh, uh, Joe Buck, or Jack Buck and his son Joe uh, in the history that they're going to share. Great stuff as always, Zubin. We will talk to you next week. Appreciate it. All right, guys, take care. Good to talk to you. Zuba Mahente from ESPN. All right, we'll come back and finish up the program. Put Trent on. Do you have an opinion on uh, Oklahoma State, Iowa State tonight? I do. I got a couple other plays that I'm toying with. So uh, we'll come back with some bad gambling advice. Okay, well, uh, for what it's worth, it was a rough next. Weekend. Was it? One of those, huh? Uh-huh. Licking your wounds. Uh, we'll come back and dot eyes, cross T's, Miller and Condon every Monday through Friday from 10 until noon on Des Moines Sports Station 1460 KXNO and now on 106. Point- Hi, welcome back. Miller and Condon in Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 Cakes. And no final couple of minutes of the program tomorrow, uh, Wednesdays, David Kaplan joins us from Chicago each and every Wednesday. Uh, he's brought to us by Centurion Stone of Iowa. Uh, Cub Fest was this past weekend. Uh, Cappy was there at least for part of it. So we will uh, get a, uh, the latest on the Cubs, the White Sox, all the goings on in sports in Chicago. Courtesy of our buddy, the Capman, David Kaplan, every Wednesday on the program, Centurion Stone of Iowa sponsors. All right, the clones tonight, Oklahoma State looking for their first win in conference play. They don't get it tonight, Trent. As good as they looked at home, it's still water. Mm-hmm. The road's a different story. Iowa State prevails, but the number's five and a half. Do they cover? That number is climbing right it now. Is it? Bill six? Hill's got it up to six, so hopefully you jumped at it early if you like the clones like I do. So what did it open at? Was it five to open? Let me uh, take a peek here. Five at a couple of spots. Okay. Yep, five and a half at most shops, but up to six, so many people jumping aboard right now. Total 137. Seems mm, a bit hefty. Yeah. bit hefty. Okay. Not a real good offensive Oklahoma State team. 
Not a very good defensive Iowa State team, though, either on that one. A couple other games I was looking at. Text at TCU tonight. Okay. I like Texas Tech. I do, too. It's a road game, not involved with the Big Ten, because that has its own set of parameters Mm -hmm. that you have to go through. Mm -hmm. I'm going to lay the three with the Red Raiders in Fort Worth tonight. And that's also an ESPN Plus game, too, correct? That is, Yes. What else did I have on the docket? Do you like any uh, K, K, K-State-Kansas tonight? Eh. Didn't have a big number, 16. Is it really? Yeah, that was a stay away for me. Maryland on the road at Northwestern. Maryland's awful on the road. They are. That number is, what did that go off at? I saw it a little bit earlier. I have it in my notes. Here it is. Five and a half, uh, no, uh, seven and a half. Maryland seven and a half point favorite. Kind of feels like a lot. Yeah, it does feel like a lot. They're 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 awful. They're a different team on the. Yeah, but this is Northwestern. It is Northwestern. They they should win the game. Illinois on the road. Purdue. That's a good one tonight. I'm five and a half. That number. I'll uh, watch that one before Iowa State Oklahoma State tip tonight at seven. I just think Iowa State has to win this basketball game. I'm right there with you. Yep. I mean, this is it's the worst team in the conference. Mm-hmm. It's at home. Right. Get rid of the negativity like you did against Oklahoma, and then yeah. we'll see. Well, from then there. Auburn's lost their last two games. They, right? they were unbeaten, yeah. and then this last past week, well, it wasn't kind to anybody uh, in the upper echelon of the rankings. Six everybody losses. Fell. That's crazy. Two different, three different teams had two losses ranked in the top five. That's just this nuts. Weekend. So, what do you make of Duke? I can't figure them out. They don't get the ball to Vernon Carey. Uh-huh. I, I don't know if it's the guards and Matthew Hurt, the kid from just north of us up in Rochester. Teams are going after him on the other end of the floor mm. every are single they? time. They are going after him very aggressively. You and, know, I'm good without a dominant team in basketball, Trent. I really am. I, I, yeah. And we don't have that. I mean, Baylor. Baylor's a nice team. They are. But the number one overall team in the in, in the land? I, they probably deserve it. Well, I'm not saying they don't. I'm just yeah. saying that, that we've seen more dominant teams mm-hmm. hold that spot for um, over the last few years. All right. I got one play for you. My what favorite is it? play of the night. This lay, is the five-star? This is the five-star. The release is out. What is it? Lay the four with Villanova at home against Butler tonight. Uh, TV on that one? I'm going to guess that's an FS. No, CBS Sports Network. 221 on DTV. Six o'clock. Lay it with the Wildcats. Gotcha. Murph and Andy at two. The Fanatics are back today at four. How about that? You know what's going to happen tomorrow morning at six? The Morning Rush on your radio. 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. See you.